Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's podcast, I talk with Karen Rolf. Karen is the unique creator of Dressage Naturally, a program that combines dressage and natural horsemanship. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi everyone, I'm Lynn Reardon, the host of the podcast and head coach at Horsewise. I'm really excited to talk with Karen Rolf today. She is one of the most innovative teachers I've ever met, and she's also a super fun person who has never ever gotten over the initial love of horses she had as a kid, just riding her horse in her backyard. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hi Karen, welcome to the Horsewise podcast. We're really honored to have you on today. Oh, I'm really happy to be here. It's good to talk to you again. Well, and I just, for my listeners, want to explain how I know Karen. And for the people who've been listening to my podcast for the last couple of years, you know that it's totally my selfish thing. So I always like to interview the people who I want to get more information from, who I find to be really wise. So Karen was one of those people that I wanted to have on the podcast. I wanted to have you on the podcast ever since I started it. And the reason is that Many years ago, I think it was 2012 is when I met you at a clinic. I know. And uh, I had never participated in a clinic of this level. So it was a clinic that was about dressage, but it was also about correct biomechanics. And it was about the connection that you have with your horse as not only yourself as a personality, but also as a physical partner. Uh, Karen combined so many creative exercises in such a way that all of the students could not only get a sense of progress with the horse, but understand why your horse might move a certain way or why you might need to apply your aid a little differently. And even more fun, you had us work on ourselves. I remember there was a whole part of the clinic where we were doing sort of exercises on the yoga balls. And then my favorite exercise was where you had uh, us get up into small groups and each of us had to mimic the other one walking because we had no idea about how we, it was so much fun. (laughs) I still remember the feedback from my group about how I walked, you know, I had no idea. Oh, interesting. So so it's something that actually stayed with me for a very long time. And then I brought it into my work. You know, I still work with the racehorse adoption charity, Lope. And then I also brought it into my work doing Horsewise, where I also teach people very what I call the basics of horsemanship awareness is primarily the thing that we focus on. And with Lope, we work with obviously the ex-race horses, but also we have many young interns, young teenage equestrians who want to become veterinarians, professional trainers, maybe even professional competitors. And I use a form of that. I totally stole from you. I used to I use a form of that walking exercise, a kind of getting us aware of our body shapes in everything I do. So I just, I just want to commend you for your work in the field, which at the time, no one was doing anything like that. It was so creative. I (laughs) I felt like, I felt like a weirdo, but you know, it made me happy. So (laughs) kept doing it. (laughs) Well, tell for our listeners, kind of explain how you got into this work. Like you have gone the full gamut from just such an interesting story. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, you know, I'll try to, not extend this too much, but I think where it started was how I started horses in the first place, which is, was really a backyard rider. I just loved horses. I would, you know, spend rainy days just hanging out with my horse, just, you know, petting him. Like I was always 
in it for the connection. And, you know, that was why I did it. I never, I never had the intention of becoming a professional, but people kept paying me to ride their horses. So there you go, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, I ended up, um, I ended up taking dressage lessons because I was in pony club and the horse I had kept, uh, taken off with me and he took off with me during a, a, a hunt Oops, oops! <laughs> and the huntsman had to like run down and rescue me. And he took me to my mom and said, get this kid some dressage lessons so she can learn how to control her horse. So like, okay. <laughs> and that's how I got into dressage. And then I just, you know, then I got a, another horse eventually, but I, I was really fascinated by the whole art of it. I mean, I, I didn't know horses could go sideways you know, as a kid. So um, we didn't have the internet back then. Um, So, you know, I just really got hooked on it and that horse ended up being really competitively successful. And then I started to train. So, um, but what was interesting was that first horse that I did dressage with, I mean, I didn't know dressage. He was an off the track thoroughbred with a bow tendon who didn't pass the pre-purchase exam for dressage because supposedly his hawks weren't good, but he, I mean, we represented the U.S. four so times you know, on the young rider team. So, um, you know, I always thought, gosh, that was such a special horse. That was such a special horse. He did above and beyond. And then as I became a professional and rode much fancier horses, much, you know, inter- you know nationally competitive. My, my trainer was on the team. She had, you know, I was around internationally competitive horses. Um, you know, the horses got fancier, but I used to always think, oh, there's still no horse as special as Tom, you know, that horse I had until brave Tom, um, brave Tom. And, uh, and then I ended up, you know, being, I got a, a sort of used up FEI horse was willed to me. And, you know, I did my, and I was always known for being really good with the special case horses. Like that was always my thing. Cause I, because I was so focused on the connection, but there was no, formal training about the connection. It just was something I did naturally. Um, but then when I got this other FEI horse and he started to have soundness issues. And so then I looked for something fun to do. And that's when I literally stumbled across a Pirelli clinic run by taught by a guy named Lichman. And I thought, how is a guy named Lichman teaching a Pirelli clinic? Doesn't make any sense. Anyway. So I went, (laughs) I went and David Lichman and I became fast friends. He's one of their instructors, but it was through that, that I learned some things formally about creating relationship that I had never heard talked about in the dressage world. And then that horse started acting special. And I went, Oh, I haven't felt this since brave Tom. And I thought, what, you know, what's the connection? It's this, it's the silly little kid stuff. It was riding him in a halter. It was playing games with him. It was thinking about him differently on purpose in a system. That's what, you know, Mm-hmm. Pirelli taught, reminded me and taught me, it was like a formal system for having the little kid in love with horses relationship. So that then, you know, so this horse who was like used up, barely sound started offering above and beyond. And I wow. went, Oh, brave Tom was special, but every horse is special. If you have that kind of relationship with them. So that was you know, once I felt that, and that was just from like one clinic, 
Wow. One clinic. And I went, I felt it and I went, oh, I got to pay attention. So that's, that started me learning more and then experimenting with other horses. <laughs> I mean, luckily my trainer was, is very open-minded. So, I mean, in the middle of this dressage facility and I'm riding around, you know, bareback, bridleless, you know, people are like crashing around me because they think I can't steer, but I'm doing just fine. They're just running off the road when they see me, you know, but she let me do it. And there, you know, probably not a lot of dressage facilities who would let some, they one of their top trainers run around bareback and bridleless. And who, you was, know. Your, who was your trainer? Uh, Ann Gribbins. Right. So she's still one of the top judges in the country and, um, and uh, yeah, a real pioneer of dressage in the United States. She's from Sweden, um, but she's been living here. So she was, I mean, she really let me experiment and she asked questions about it and she supported it. And how lucky was that? Because I, I hear from so many people who aren't allowed to do stuff like that in their facility. So that in a serious facility like that, that's what yeah. she's known for that too. From what I understand that it's this incredible standard for competitive performance, but the relationship has to come first. Mm -hmm. That's what I've always heard about her. So maybe yeah. you influenced her as well. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we, um, we still are in touch and she still will call me. She's like, I got this weird horse. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I was very, very fortunate um, to just be in that surroundings. And I was there at that facility in New York for God decades. So it was a real experimental ground for, with a lot of horses and a lot of students and, um, and some students who were supportive of this new weird stuff that I was doing. And some, some weren't actually. And so when I, you know, when I left um, and came to Florida and really immersed in this stuff, you know, all, all in kind of thing, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, everybody said, Oh, she doesn't do real dressage anymore. Oh boy. <laughs> and I went and I watched some really nice horses get back on the trailer and leave. Um, but I also had some students who, who trusted me and said, we, tr you know, I trust you. And if you think this is important, and then they sent their horses with me, um, when I went and immersed and spent some time in Colorado and, Florida with the Prellies and um yeah so I just uh, very fortunate for fortunate and I took I for some reason I was brave enough to you know <laughs> to do this and not not care what anybody else thought because I was having fun <laughs> when you definitely were crafting a path that was unbroken at that time yeah. I you were the first person I ever heard of who was blending dressage with horsemanship natural horsemanship and who had also come from the world of dressage at a very high level. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and there's certainly nothing wrong with doing good dressage at the lower levels, but it's equally, it's just so much more compelling that you, you chose to blend these worlds when someone else might say, hey, you were at the height of your career success mm -hmm. doing it the other way. And that's what I find really interesting is that you had the courage of conviction to do that without having, it really was a little bit of a leap of faith, wasn't it? It, it wasn't, it wasn't because it, it worked. Like I was seeing results, mm -hmm. you know, when, like I said, with that sort of used up, so desensitized poor horse, mm -hmm. you know, that was Bubba, <laughs> his name was Vivaldi, <laughs> but his name was Bubba. And then to see the light come on and to see him offering 
where before he wasn't offering, he was really shut down. Um, so, so from a very practical sense, it, it, the stuff worked. So why not learn more? But yeah, I try to approach things with um, openness, skepticism, and common sense. So it was kind of like, hmm, prove it, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's when I got my horse, Monty, this Lipizzan, who was 11 and I, given to me for a dollar because supposedly he was crazy. And I thought, oh, good, a, a messed up horse. I can't mess him up. I'm going to, I'm going to do this natural horsemanship stuff and see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it did. So, you know, and then to immediately see, you know, it makes sense. The, the things like fear and confusion and boredom and feelings of helplessness are not conducive to the posture that we're trying to create in dressage, right? So how would you sit if you were depressed mm-hmm. or bored or afraid, you know, you know, <laughs> and all, if you just like got happy, you know, all of a sudden your posture is better. So dressage is about posture and biomechanics. I started to see that it was much easier to do dressage on happy, inspired, trusting horses. So why not um, look at specific skills that actually actively try to create that, you know, and, and also what I noticed, you know, this natural horsemanship umbrella is a very big umbrella, the same Mm -hmm. as dressage. You know, if I say the word dressage, there's a million different pictures popping into people's heads. Some are picturing Rolker and some are picturing, you know, Philip Carl, you know, (laughs) I don't know what you're picturing. The same thing with natural horsemanship. When I say that I, you know, some people are picturing, you know, bomb proof, plopping along horses and other ones are picturing, you know, galloping on the beach or playing at Liberty with exuberance. So I don't know what anybody's picturing out there, but it's, it's about, um, you know, exercises to create trust and communication and giving the horse some freedom to offer it rather than just control. So whatever you want to call the system that teaches you that, And then dressage is really about, I think, healthy biomechanics and then the art of gymnastically developing your horse. So, you know, we have to kind of remember what's at the heart of either of those, of any system and, and kind of shed the, the labels and the names (laughs) they're always, you know, words are a a secondary substitute for what we're actually trying to do. (laughs) And and it can, and it can get us into more of an abstraction than if we're trying to, constantly define it and that's not to say there are practical principles in natural horsemanship and of mm-hmm. course in dressage and that's what I've noticed in I, mean, I, I tend to call it foundation horsemanship for some reason I don't know mm-hmm. if that's just because of the way that I came to it but it's the same principles where you're looking to essentially engage the mind of the horse as well as its body is how I see it and those are, you know, you're bringing that out through things that are playful, through things that are also biomechanically very helpful to a horse mm-hmm. and to uh, engage their curiosity. And that's something, this, this little bit of a play element, that doesn't mean that you're capering around with your horse in a cape or whatever, or role playing <laughs> or whatever, but yeah. there are things that where you access sort of the horse's, this is my interpretation of it, the horse's mental participation and engagement, as opposed to, as you're saying, kind of a horse that comes to you shut down mm-hmm. and a horse that's shut down is not able to offer anything and they're not really a participant and right. 
you know, I always thought of dressage, my vision of dressage, um, well, you've actually influenced what I think of dressage personally. <laughs> so, cause I didn't come at it through a competitive angle, but I think of dressage as dancing, you know, there's two partners and there's yeah. an, a biomechanical responsibility each brings to the table, but also a creative flow too, when you get the biomechanics correct. So it's not a rigid holding into place. Do these movements perfectly, it, it becomes an art form when it's put together. Mm -hmm. And it's also the natural horsemanship that gives that maybe flair of creativity to it, that individual personality of the horse can come out. So yes. that's, that's how I interpret it anyway. Yeah. Well, I love to share. Um, this is something really cool. I'm going to quote from you for you. Um, the, the object of dressage, according to the FEI rule book, this is article 401. And you'd be amazed at how many dressage professionals don't know this, <laughs> but according to the international federation for equestrians, the object of dressage is the development of the horse into a happy athlete through harmonious education, resulting in a horse that's calm, loose, supple, and flexible, but also confident, attentive, and keen, thus achieving perfect understanding with his rider. That's lovely. That's dressage. Yeah. But wouldn't that fit into many people's um, goal for natural horsemanship? Absolutely. So m the majority of the adjectives in that in that definition are mental emotional states. Loose, supple, and flexible is the only description of a physical state. So how cool is that? That is super cool. Yeah, and I, you know, I've I've recited that and had dressage professionals go, "Oh, that's beautiful. Where'd you get that?" I'm like, "The rule book. <laughs> the rule book. <laughs> you, you might want to you might want to read yeah. that occasionally." If you're, yeah, if yeah. You're so it doesn't you know it doesn't say fifteen one tempes or collection. So right. you that's the that's the beginning and the end. That that is dressage, and then the game is let's see how advanced we can get and still achieve that object of dressage. And, and that's where, you know, just like what you said, there's the art and the dance and the movements, the movements are there to create qualities and skills in the horse that the movements aren't there for the purpose of being judged. It's not, let's get the movement done and then mm. see if we can make it look good. It's how do we use this movement as a tool to achieve the object of dressage? <laughs> and then, you know, and then it's just layers. And I think we've all seen the picture of the moment where you prioritize getting movements done, but you've thrown away the object of dressage. So yeah, great. You can do 15 one tempies across the diagonal with a tongue, blue tongue hanging out and, you know, callus on this horse's sides. And, you know, you have to take three people to hold them to mount him. Right. right. You know, so then it's like, okay, you, you, achieved the movements, but you lost the object of dressage. And so that was the other part that in doing, you know, natural horsemanship, it, it just felt like it filled in the education of, well, what does it mean to be harmonious? How do you actually create confidence and calmness in a horse? You know, how do you create motivation and keenness? What does it mean to understand? And there's a difference between controlling mm -hmm. and actually communicating. Right. So I was like, you know, I felt like everything that was filling in everything I was learning from natural horsemanship was filling in the missing pieces 
of the mental emotional part, like you said, and dressage, I was getting a lot of good training on how to physically develop a horse. And of course, any good horseman in dressage has to know a little bit something about the mental emotional state. Absolutely. But but predominantly it was about, you know, the movements. And the same thing in natural horsemanship that there I was getting a lot of mental emotional education. And yes, you have to know something about the physical or you can't do it. But when I went to the natural horsemanship world, I thought, oh my gosh, these people need to know about biomechanics because mm-hmm. there's sometimes they're thinking that it's a um, an understanding problem, but it's not an understanding problem. It's a balance problem. Mm-hmm. And I was able to see that. So that's where I was just like, Ooh, you know, you guys need to talk to each other. These two, <laughs> these two worlds that seemed like really far apart at that time, you know, in 2003 <laughs> in 1999 was the first time I really started doing a, doing it like between, you know, that was, they were so far away and nobody talked to each other. And I was like, you guys, you each have information that the other one needs. And that's, so that's what I saw my role is I, I had to reconcile because I knew this stuff worked and I knew that stuff worked and I'm in the middle of going, now, what do I do? <laughs> like, I have to figure out my own system just so I know how to do it. <laughs> and did, did you find you had to really develop a vocabulary so both sides could understand each other a little yeah. bit? Yeah. yeah, it was, I felt like a translator because I could go when I was in like dressage land, I would speak differently. Mm-hmm. And then w- when I was in natural horsemanship land, I would, I could, you learn their vocabulary and I could, I could know what they wanted and talk. Yeah. So it, that's fun, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of fun. And yeah. you come from, to me, it seems like the, the blending of those two, two worlds ultimately, of course, it's very practical, as I said. Um, and I always stress that on my podcast, I uh, couldn't do what I do if I wasn't practical in the sense of being in the real world, feet on the ground mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So that's just a kind of a, I default, but the other element is the creativity, the artistic thing that comes together with the dressage and the natural horsemanship. And as I recall, and I might be wrong about this, didn't you have an artistic career or you were trained as an artist? That's what I thought I was. Yeah. That's that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I have a bachelor's in biology and, um, you know, I did the typical as a kid, I was like, I'm going to be a vet. And then I was like, no, wait, I want to be around the healthy horses. Um, But no, I I, have always been artistic. And so I was actually heading towards scientific illustration. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in cadaver labs following the med students around drawing body parts. (laughs) But, um, but I also worked, um, I studied with, um, in close connection with uh, the anthropology department. So it was really cool because this one guy anthropologist was one of the people that like, if a, if a fossil was found a hominid fossil, he was one of the people they would get sent to, to analyze. And then he would work with the artists to go, okay, well, based on this tooth, we knew it ate this sort of stuff, which meant it had to be able to reach this, which had a, you know, body weight to mat, you know, so that, yeah. And so it was like, really cool because it was really scientific, but then working with artists to try to shape out what this, and I was like, this is cool. Cause art, you know, art and science were my, my faves, but like I said, people kept paying me to ride their horses. Well, yeah, no, totally. I would, I would yeah. make that decision too, but so, it goes back to, again, the blend of the world, you know, yeah, correct movement, correct biomechanics, but also that element of play, creativity, mental engagement of the horse. Like you said, the happy mm-hmm. athlete, 
that is something that can be forgotten. It, and I work with a lot of people who, I mean, they're nice people, they're good people, and, and they like to show in a variety of disciplines. And But many times they get into a scenario where they feel like their horse, their horse is essentially is essentially sort of left the building mentally and they're like oh mm-hmm. i can't i can't get him excited anymore or maybe he's really dull and i need to add more leg add more leg or and and it's like there's a different way to approach that and that comes to this other element and yet one of the big to me uh the most compelling things about dressage is how expressive the horses can be in those mm-hmm. movements so it's not as though you sacrifice one for the other you know, in a sport like that, you're going to have all of the the effort that you put into the mental and curiosity development in the horse through also the training of the movements, which is quite, again, athletic. Mm-hmm. You put those together, the happy athlete, then you have incredible performance too. Yeah. You know, if that's your goal, it's, it's something that doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, the, I have felt horses become proud Mm. by doing dressage. And I think the day that I don't feel that is the day I stop because dressage is inherently very purposeless. Mm -hmm. You know, like a horse knows if they jumped the jump, they know if they cut the cow, Mm -hmm. they don't know necessarily that that shoulder in was a perfect three tracks. (laughs) That was really great tempo there. Like they don't think like that. And, but I think that's why, especially uh, dressage riders need to stay very good about being curious and creating this inspiration. And, you know, why should they do it? Because horses are amazing and they will perform even if they're, you know, in learned helplessness. <laughs> it's a shame, but yeah. you know, that's lucky for us. They let us ride them. But I, I, that's where I think it's really tricky because dressage, they have to give their bodies to us in a way in order to do the dance the same way the the woman dancing the waltz they're educated they're skilled but they've got to like let themselves be led but we how do we do that how do we get them to agree to that and that's Mm -hmm. that's my game is like yeah I don't want to just make it happen Mm -hmm. I want my horse to agree to it. And it's tricky. It's really tricky. And like I said, horses are so amazingly obliging that, you know, you can do it badly and they'll still do it. And, and, and also, I don't know if the qualities of partnership actually will. (laughs) My dog is Remy. I'll, I'll be with you shortly. Um, You know, I don't know if, if the partnership will actually show up in, in the show ring, you know, one second. No, so Remy can come on the podcast. We could, we can interview Remy. <laughs> Karen is taking a break to attend to her very vocal. Oh, he's right here. Dog. Oh, he's so cute. I know. How, do, how can I resist this? Oh. Anyway, Remy gets oh. what Remy wants. I'm very well trained. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyway, it it is tricky, I I think. But I I believe that, you know, horses can love to do dressage. They can feel proud of themselves. They they can, together we can create something that neither us or the horses can do by themselves. And it makes it worth it. 
Yeah. And every horse is so different, you know, that you have to kind of blend. Is this a physical exercise or is there a mental challenge or an emotion? You know, which doorway do I come in? And we just do our best and we try to take good guesses of how our horse is actually feeling because we never really know. But I think if we think about it and we have the goal of, I'd like to think that my horse is enjoying this, <laughs> you know, found that. Well, personally, I don't compete really. And I mean, I think competition is great. Don't get me mm -hmm. wrong. It's just, I get really fascinated by the relationship and the connection and all of that first, again, primarily because of the kind of work I do, the kind of horses I work with. Competition may not be, a uh, high level competition may not be in the cards for them anymore. They've raced for a long time or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I've experienced some interesting some interesting elements that relate to what you're talking about. I was working with a teacher in a cow working clinic one time on a horse that had dressage training, who was very nervous about cows. He thought they were smelly and just moved very <laughs> weird. And I was riding him in a, a Western saddle in a weight tree saddle so he could lift his back. And uh, so the teacher was kind of working with us both. And he was like, let him kind of pick a cow out. And and I let him do that. Like I didn't try to you know, go to this brown cow. I kind of let right. him do that. And I kind of encouraged him. And I found myself offering my seat and rein and leg in a way that was a little elevated as if we were about to flow into a dressage movement. It just sort of was, seemed like the natural encouragement. And that horse, he started to, he started to round and he started to realize that the cow was moving away from him and you could feel this pride. And in that moment, he did like three piaf steps. Now I didn't ask for piaf, but it was yeah. just like, and it was out of pride. And then I was like, yeah. we need to end on this note immediately. <laughs> like we need to. <laughs> and uh, as I, as I left the road deer, the teacher said, people ask me who have dressage horses, what, what they should do with them. And he says, I tell them they should work cows. And he said, people who have cutting horses, I tell them they should do dressage. And it was just this perfect little illustration. So you saw cool. it go from like, I'm a freaked out dressage horse trying to figure this out to, oh, I get it. And it was related in his mind to a movement that he'd practiced before. That was oh, so I cool. And But he was totally proud. He was like, he came off there arrogant in that cool way. And I was yeah. just like, wow, it was so nice to feel that in that horse. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really cool, cool example. Yeah. It's Definitely. amazing. And the idea too, that horses offer things, some people maybe don't think of it that way. Again, if you're maybe focused on certain exercises or your usual schooling routine or mm -hmm. getting ready for a competition, but when you have that feeling that a horse offers something to you, it's very unmistakable. Yeah. And I think one of the things that your work does the type of education you offer is getting more and more people to feel that for the first time. And then of course they want to chase it, right? It's just the best yeah. thing. So yes, through some of the very basic, um, you know, natural horsemanship foundation things, it's like you start to learn what it looks like when you ask or suggest and your horse goes, Oh, I know what yeah. to do. And I'm going to do it. So it was silly little easy things, just a yield or step on this thing. And, but the importance of that is you learn what your horse looks like when they understand and they're willing to offer. And then they like put their foot on the thing and they're like, nailed it. You know, and, and then you, tr I try to like bring that into my dressage training. So the, the first stage of dressage training is um, my aids are here to help you feel better. Cause mm. I have this crazy idea that moving in a balanced, free, 
let loose way should feel good to the horse. So a working gait and a stretched posture should feel really good to the horse so that if they're going around kind of crooked and stiff and my aides come on and make some suggestions and after that suggestion, they feel looser and more balanced and free. Like I want to feel like I'm their favorite yoga teacher or massage therapist. Like, oh, thank you for reminding me about my shoulder. I feel so much better now. So that's step number one. And then after they're there, then it's, you know, that we do for the horse. And then everything over that going up the levels is um, the horse. The game is how do I get the horse to agree to go to the gym, right? Mm. Do another pull up. (laughs) You know, I mean, we go to the gym and we pay to have someone train us because we decide, but like the horse didn't. So how do we use all of that mental, emotional skill and communication skills so that we can somehow get them to go to the gym and do push-ups and sit-ups for us. And so we better be good at, um, at making it clear mm-hmm. and thanking them very much and letting them know when it's over and that they also know when we're happy with them. So when my horse does a silly trick of like, put your foot in the rubber bucket and I go, yes, nailed it. <laughs> you know, and they go, Ooh, I get it. I did this thing. And then mom's really happy. So then when I, you know, do a half pass and let's say the horse puts in a really good effort and I go, oh my God, that was great. You nailed it. They're like, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> oh, it must've been that thing where I went sideways, you know, but they start to look and go, what was it that I just did with this inherently purposeless thing that I'm being asked to do? And then it becomes a game and then they get fit and then they get straighter and then they're carrying more weight on their hind end. And then it feels even better because now they're like, a superhero, rock star, fit, you know, fit being. And that's when that other layer of pride comes in because they are, they're strong and they're balanced. And, you know, anybody who's been in an exercise program, like you feel good Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you're fit. Absolutely. And I think this is a good time to introduce the innovative way that you teach. Uh, We, before we actually hit record on the podcast, we were talking about how you had from the start brought online education into the picture long before anyone else was doing it. What did you say? It was like 2010 that you created the Dressage Naturally video classroom. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote the book, my book, and the book has a DVD with it. That came out in 2008. So um, that was a big thing. And then, yeah, then the video classroom was created because I'd be teaching clinics all over the place and they'd have the book, but then they wanted, you know, follow up. So I created the video classroom as a way for me to video me working with people doing the exercises, you know, in clinics and then with my own horses too. So people could see more practical examples of it. And it just, it just took off (laughs) and we're still doing it. There's like some like 400 and something videos in there now. Wow. Yeah. And we're still going. That's amazing. Now, I remember too, the videos were of highly professional quality. I think this is another innovation that you brought. I remember Dana, uh, your now your husband, but yeah. uh, he would, I mean, he was like Steven Spielberg out there. Like he had, <laughs> he had the equipment. He was so good too, because he was very unobtrusive, right? He never yeah. got the horses worried or the students worried, but he would get all of these wonderful angles. And then the videos would be very, I just, again, professional comes to mind, very high quality, which also was unusual then. And yeah, just- well, I, yeah, I got lucky. Cause um, he was, uh, 
a photographer. He's a professional photographer, ah, some commercial, but a lot of weddings and portraits. And, um, and so then, you know, right then the, the photography market kind of, you know, everybody, everybody had a phone in their uh, camera in their pocket. So we started to shift and he started to do the videos and the joke is because we, we weren't married at the time. I was like, Oh, I knew it was love when he said, let's start a subscription <laughs> website. And I'm like, you know, if we start this, <laughs> we have to keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. So he, um, yeah. So he knew a lot about just light and angles and, you know, he had to learn about the horse part though. So I had to kind of teach him, you know, you got to see it from this angle and, but he just has a, a lot of natural feel. And mm -hmm. so he's really good on the technical. He's, he's trained in computers. So, you know, that whole part was good, but I actually edit the videos myself. Uh, that, that makes sense because the way that you put those videos together, or I noticed when they were on the website is it seemed like a horse person had edited them a sophisticated yeah. horse person because you are, they're getting the angles and then you voice over well too. Right. So it's yeah. not just, this is how you do this movement. It's more like, oh, observe this horse yeah. as he lifts the shoulder. This is the key moment of release. And I was like, exactly. wow, who's doing like? Who's, yeah, who's no, because I had seen I had seen so many videos and and videos that I had seen were either in two categories. Either like one, it was like, and now watch this person perform the perfect version of this, and you're like, okay, great, but how does that help me? Yeah, you know, yeah. or they would just play, you know, a whole lesson you know, and I was getting bored. So I, when I edit it, I almost feel like this is, it's a second lesson. So mm -hmm. sometimes the lesson is so good out in the field that I can just plunk it down, but I try to, you know, make it concise and take out the parts that you don't need to see. And then, yeah, I like to rewind. Like, did you see that? And put right. in slow motion and put an arrow or something right, right, right. so look that at, people. Look at this yeah, exactly. And then yeah. I feel like it is really hard to teach I mean, it's really teaching feel a little bit, right? And some of the videos that where you're saying this is where you can see where the horse softens into this mm -hmm. movement. You slow it down at the regular speed. It might just look for a second like the horse was just did something a little different, but you're not sure what. And so being able to train people's eye, I yeah. think is something that is so, uh, it's very important, but it's difficult to do. And that's something that, again, you were a real trendsetter with that. Mm. No one. Else, I mean, I was a, kind of a video freak, and nobody else was doing oh, really? that kind of thing. Yeah. So wow. It yeah. It just it's it's what I wanted, and and I like the I really enjoy putting the microphone on and then riding my horses, and then you know people can hear not only me narrating what I'm mm -hmm. thinking, but also they can hear me talking to my horse. It's like that in the moment. Mm -hmm. stuff. So yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's time consuming, but I enjoy it because I love teaching. So, you know, when I'm done, when I'm editing the video, I feel like I'm, I'm picturing my student there and I'm, I'm just, I'm teaching again. So, well, thank you because, you know, I really, I just did my thing. I didn't do a whole lot of research. <laughs> I just knew what I wanted to do. And I'm so glad that it's coming across um, as if I'm a professional oh, editor, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I know I, a few I, tricks now. <laughs> I think, I think you are. I think I go back to, to that original, like biology and scientific illustration. It's something about the precision with the artistry hmm. that is very unusual. And that's probably always been at the core of what you bring as a teacher and as a rider and a horsewoman. Um, so it's just why I really wanted to have you on the podcast today because I know that I know that people can always go to your website and they can access your information, but I wanted to give my listeners a sense of this bigger picture. You know, you are from 
two very different worlds. And yet you're also from the world I came from, which is, you know, that excited person who just loves their horse. Like that's never really left you. Uh -uh. And uh, so many of the people who listen to my podcast, they, they might have one or two horses and they love them to death. You know, they might be competitors, they might not, but they want to do the best things. And they also just really love getting up in the morning and going and seeing their horse. And it's so wonderful that you still have that quality and you bring it to your work yet also your work is at a very high professional level. Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be fun, you know, and a lot of times students will say to me almost apologetically, they're like, Oh, well, I don't compete. I'm like, that's okay. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, if you get up every morning and you put all this focus in your horse and this time and energy and money, just because you like it, like maybe that's more honorable, you know, you know, you're not doing it for, not that there's anything wrong with competing. I mean, it's very, it's fine to have goals and do that, you know, but I, I want to, um, you know, there's so many people who feel like they're not, they're less than because they don't compete. And I was like, no, if a horse pee offs in the woods and no one's there to see it, it's still a pee off. And he's still proud of it. He's still exactly. He doesn't think it only matters in the ring. Like, it's like, oh, I feel great about myself. Yeah. And, and you helped your horse feel that. That's yeah. what's so cool. That's such a, a special it's such a special thing to chase. Yeah. Yeah. R- riding really is the magic is between the rider and the horse and that's it. And, you know, we as humans n- need to set goals in whatever way that makes sense for us. For some people it's competition and for some people it's clinics or some people it's just riding with a friend for some people it's just going and riding, you know, making sure you make the time on the calendar to ride your horse. So it just, whatever goals you want to have, it's totally okay as, as, you know, grand or small, but I don't even, I think riding your own horse all by yourself in a field and doing a great job is, is a grand goal. It's, yeah. is we're riding horses. Like this is, a, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, so I think there's no, there's nothing that's better or worse than anything else in, except in how you do it. And I think that's the part where we just, we have to know in our hearts how we're doing it. And um, regardless of what style or what technique you're using, it's, it's a horses is about trust and harmony. So if you're experiencing trust and harmony, then you're probably doing pretty well. And if you're not, then um, I think you have to kind of ask yourself, why are you doing horses in the first place? Because if it's not fun and if it's not about the horse and you trusting each other, and it's not about finding harmony between the two of you, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. There's less expensive and easier sports if this was going on, you know, there's there's motorcycle racing or whatever. Right, right. Well, is there anything that you would like to kind of end on? Because this discussion has been pretty lively and (laughs) I could ask you a bazillion questions, but I think I'd rather kind of hear from your perspective what you think is really maybe the focus of your work right now or some of the... Mm -hmm what you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah. I mean, I I think everything for me comes down to kind of what I just said is like, remember why you got into horses in the first place. And remember that the most important thing is what's happening between you and your horse. That's where all the magic is. And you can have magic like that when you walk out into the pasture 
and your horse walks up to you. I mean, that's an amazing moment. And you can have it if you're, you know, got your pee off or your clean flying chain. So all, all of these things I think are equal because our horses did not ask for any of this. (laughs) And I think sometimes we, we kind of take that for granted. So I think just to, um, to remember that, um, it's all between you and your horse and everything is, is special and to trust your instincts. That to me is the natural part of natural horsemanship and of dressage. Naturally, it's the, you really being you here in this moment and really seeing and being with your horse, whoever they are and seeing them and acknowledging them. And then if you guys can connect, that's the whole ball game. And if you learn how to do some cool stuff, you know, riding it on the ground on top of it. Awesome. You know, go for it, see how far you can go. But to me, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, if I got 15 one tempies, but I didn't have the trust and the harmony with my horse, I'll lose sleep. Mm-hmm. But if I go out there and my horse comes up to me and just kind of like cuddles my ear and that's all we did, I can go to bed a happy person. That's just me. So everybody has their own motivations. But for me, like that's the beginning and end of everything. Well, Karen, thank you so much for your time and for being a guest on our podcast. We really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you'll come back again. We'd love to have you later in the year. I know you have a busy schedule, but. No, anytime, anytime. I love, you know, I love talking about myself now. <laughs> I mean, these, I know, I knew all the answers to your questions, right? I know, I know you, no, yes, you nailed it. You nailed it's it. It's so, it's so fun. I'm so happy to meet people, you know, to reconnect with people like you who are just talking about this this stuff you know and and how to be good partners with your horse and do stuff so it's it's a it's only my favorite subject so um anytime anytime it's why why i started the podcast i just can't stop talking about it well thank you again karen and i'll definitely be in touch soon for another sounds good sounds good all right for more information about karen's work and her incredible teaching programs please visit dressagenaturally.net Be sure to check out her incredible array of training videos, her groundbreaking book, and her clinic opportunities throughout the year. At HorseWise, I teach you the horsemanship habits and tools to guarantee you long-term success with your horse, no matter what your discipline. If you enjoy my podcast and would like to study the topics and guests in more detail, please check out my new podcast study group, HorseWise Scholars, at horsewisecoach.com slash scholars. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.